Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, licensed therapist. Our shiny new website is up and running, so please check it out, particularly our Support Us page. You can email us at contact at psychologyinseattle.com. That's contact at psychologyinseattle.com. We always love hearing from our listeners. The email form on our new website, the place where you can contact us, there's a, there's a contact page on our new website. There's a form there. Instead of just sending us a direct email, you can fill out this form and it'll send us an email. Well, it came to my attention that we were not getting emails through that form for the first number of weeks that the website was up. Um, so if you sent an email to us through that form in October, in all likelihood, we did not get that email. So please resubmit that email. Yet another reminder that we are going down to just one RSS feed, so make sure that you're subscribed to the main feed on iTunes. We are also on Stitcher, so check us out there. A student of mine actually came up, actually a GA that is uh, helping me out at the university, said that she listens to a lot of podcasts on Stitcher, and she said, well, why isn't my podcast on Stitcher? And and, uh, I looked into it, and I thought, yeah, why not? So I signed up for it. And at first, Stitcher, you know, I tested it out after I got it up and running on Stitcher, and it just seemed like Stitcher was really janky. The episodes were all jumbled up in time, and uh, I, I tried to refresh it a bunch of times, and it just, it just, it didn't work. So I thought, I don't think we're going to use Stitcher because this is lame. But as a last-ditch effort, effort, I emailed someone at Stitcher, and they actually responded quite quickly and fixed the problem right away. And every once in a while, I email them and tell them to change something and they do which is amazing because you know you just figure websites and these people you send them emails and they just they don't care or they don't have enough staff to respond but they actually responded so that's great so it's just me today umberto and mandy will be joining me later after i talk about my recent appearance on cairo radio earlier this week jason and tebby who is the producer of the bill radke treatment show that i've been on before he is getting his own show in the evening And he had three hours to fill, so he called me up and asked me if I would come on the show to talk about the Storm Sandy in the Northeast. As usual, I didn't have much time to prepare, and so I gave it a whirl. I was actually at someone else's house at the time, and I didn't know if I was going to have good cell phone reception. So I asked if I could use the landline there. And I haven't used a landline in, boy, I don't know, long time, maybe 10 years, honestly, maybe... Maybe I've used a landline once or twice in the last 10 years. I forgot how wonderful landlines are. I have not realized that cell phones are basically as bad as they have been since the beginning. I mean, the delay, the echo, the bad reception. Landlines, you have a direct line to that person, and, and there's, there's no delay, and there's no static, and there's no worry. And the, even the phone just feels good. You know, you have the, the receiver against your ear and and um the microphone is in a good spot and it was very satisfying and it makes me want to get a landline or it makes me want to yell at the cell phone companies and say hey you know pick up the pace it's 2012 man like give us some better reception or maybe there's a way to pay extra money to get that kind of reception i don't know because i want that kind of feeling my policy is that i don't like talking on the phone unless i have to 
And I'm beginning to wonder if I have that policy because of the way that cell phones make me feel when I talk to people. It's just a bad connection and it sort of annoys me. There's actually been some psychological research that proves that when you have a slight delay, you get annoyed and it kind of messes with your head. And so maybe that's what I'm reacting to. And so maybe if I had a better connection or if cell phones were better, or if we had a, if I had a landline, I might talk on the phone more. I don't know. Radio is interesting, actually, because Jason Antebi was or still is the producer. They call him producers in radio. And as far as I can tell, what he does is he does all of the booking. He he contacts all the guests. He does all the legwork. He does a lot of research and he runs the board when we're recording. And he and he's just kind of like the jack of all trades when it comes to a radio program. That's what they call the producer. It's obviously different from a producer in film. I've seen a number of producers at Cairo actually graduate from producer to actual radio talent. And I'm wondering if being a producer is almost like an internship to become radio talent. I'm not sure. So it's interesting to see Jason graduate to that next level and get his own radio show. And I hope it works out for him. So let's go to that clip. Jerry James along with Jason Rance. Hello. Obviously, everybody's talking about Sandy, we're going to have updates for you throughout the evening as uh, as we learn more and more about it. There's uh, all kinds of crazy stuff happening, all kinds of things being reported. In fact, uh, we have a little bit of an update. NYU Medical Center backup generators have failed, and the patients are being moved right now as we speak. We've been talking so, to a lot of people actually on the ground in New York. A lot of it hasn't been as dramatic from people who are there than I'm seeing and hearing. Well, they're New Yorkers. Yeah, right? Come on, what are you going to do? Bring it. I mean, a lot of dramatic images we're seeing right now. Some of them have already been photoshopped, like sharks going down the, you know, the street. And we don't really know exactly what's going on. And we're not going to really know until pretty much in the morning, for the most part. Um, I, their jokes are flying out there already. Like already? They, they want to rename Sandy to A-Rod. So that's for sure that it won't hit anything. You know, there, there's all that stuff going on all over Twitter. So, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very serious issue. Uh, a lot of things have changed right now because of it. Absolutely. And, you know, we know there's been extensive flooding uh, in the financial district, for example. Here's WCBS's uh, Alex Silverman. All of the financial district, up to four, five, six feet. I'm looking at Battery Place right now. It's up to the top of fire hydrants, up to the hoods of cars. The water has only been rising uh, in the past couple of hours. Uh, I got here about two and a half hours ago. Water was just starting to pour onto Battery Place when I pulled down on Broadway. That water is now up to three feet high here. The water by the Staten Island Ferry Terminal was about a foot high. That has now risen several feet. And if you're stuck there, it's pretty stressful and scary and dramatic, and we've seen all of those images. And as I was talking to people who I know personally who were watching the hurricane footage from here in Seattle, mm -hmm. it seemed to me that I was seeing a lot of people who almost had this like giddy excitement about the potential to see damage being done. That's why they're watching, because a lot of people here in Seattle aren't necessarily directly affected. We're affected well, yeah. in ways where, you know, some of us have to fly there, some of us have friends and family, but people seem to want to see a lot of damage. It's the other side of the country, and I have actually lived in Florida where there has been a lot of, uh, obviously, hurricanes and threats. I've had to evacuate many times. One time I evacuated, I came home. After evacuation, my driveway was much cleaner than I left it. I mean, that's as bad as it goes. So, I mean, it's it's a 50-50 it's a type of thing. I mean, it's a serious, serious thing. But like you said, we're here in Seattle, 
and that's all the way on the other side of the country. I don't necessarily want to see destruction or anything, but I, I uh, definitely, you, you sit here and you watch it and you go, all right, this better be worth it. Almost like in a traffic accident when you're, you're driving by. Exactly. Going, okay. So I wanted to find out a little bit about that because I'm in that camp where I kind of do want to, I don't want to see people die. Unfortunately, there have oh, been God. five deaths. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, you sit there and you watch it. You put all this time and effort into watching a, a, a newscast. You kind of want to see something. So I asked my friend Kirk Honda to come on. He's faculty at Antioch University. He's a licensed therapist. He hosts the podcast Psychology in Seattle. And Kirk, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, Kirk, you yep. know people, uh, you know the brain, you know how we think and operate. Can you tell us why some of us might want to see destruction? I mean, is, it, is there something wrong with us or is it just curiosity? Well, for some people, there might be something wrong with them. But the way you're describing it, it sounds like it's just a safe way to get a thrill. It's them. It's not you. It's exciting to watch. It's visceral. Like you said, if there was actually people dying or suffering physically before your eyes, you would have empathy for those people, right, Jason? I would. I'm not and, Patrick and, Bateman. Yeah. yeah. And well, Even so, Jason would, yes. <laughs> so we'll get to that, the Patrick Batemans of the world. But it's excitement. It's, you know, it's exciting. It's, it's visceral. There's things happening. Things are being destroyed. And, and um, I think it's, in a sick way, entertaining. Is it natural? It seems to be a fairly universal trait in humans, yeah. I think there are some people that can't tolerate that level of fear that's involved in watching images like that. There are people like that. And people like that should avoid these images because it can be somewhat traumatic. Interesting. Okay, well, I feel a little bit better knowing that I'm in the okay camp. <laughs> well, well, let's, well let, me, let me run by some theories, uh, and you tell me if, if any of these fit. Okay. Uh, so, so let's go to the Patrick Bateman. So it sounds like this isn't you, but you tell me. So one theory or one reason why people, I think, are attracted to disasters is that they get a sadistic pleasure from watching it. They actually get a pleasure from watching other people suffer. Like if they saw someone's home being blown over, or they saw someone die, they would actually get some pleasure from that. There are people like that. They're very rare. They're very rare. Yeah, I, don't, I can't see having pleasure in that at all. I but really I'll be can't. honest about something. Okay, please. I sometimes get pleasure, not out of death or even someone getting hurt, but sometimes when I see bad things happen to really bad people, I kind of get a little bit of yeah, but this pleasure out of that. But this isn't bad people. This, exactly. This has nothing to do with it. This is an act of God here, you know? Unless you hate everyone on the East Coast. <laughs> well, so now we're getting into schadenfreude. You've heard of that, right? Of course. So, you know, it's, we get this, this pleasure from, from watching other people suffer because, by extension, we are not suffering. It somehow elevates us to see other people brought down. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Particularly people that we don't like, that we want to be underneath us, that we feel like they, maybe they deserve it somehow. But this isn't the case, right? You, you don't feel that when you watch the no, footage on the No, I, I feel like when I'm watching this coverage and I'm just seeing these dramatic photos, part of it is I don't, you don't see this every day. You don't see uh, this type of flooding in a major U.S. city since Katrina. Not like this, certainly not in New York. Right. So and that leads to another theory. And that is, is that in our modern life, our modern industrial life, we live fairly boring existences. We need entertain. You know, our lives are very safe. We don't have a lot of excitement the way that people had 500 years ago when they didn't know if they were going to live from day to day. You know, our lives are fairly, shall we say, boring. And so we need these kinds of visceral, violent things to watch in order to give us excitement. Do you think that's the case for you? A little bit, probably. But here's the question. Should I feel guilty about it? You're saying no, because it's sort of natural. Um, I don't know if I, I can exonerate your guilt. That, that's, that's something. That <laughs> yeah, he needs to, to go talk on. to a person, you know, something else about that. 
what, let me ask you this. Let's, <laughs> let's say that you hear a story about somebody who, who was negatively affected significantly. Their insurance isn't going to pay for their home being washed away, or they lost a loved one. How would you feel about that? I'd feel awful. Right. So it might be exciting to watch the footage, but at the same time, it would feel awful if someone actually died. Right. Well, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so that's what that's the differentiation between a crazy person or someone who's not mentally well and someone like me. Yeah, a lot right. of I'm not sure. I mean, a lot of this is just out of curiosity. I mean, right now, uh, I just saw this come across the wire here. Mayor Bloomberg admits that coastal flooding right now is slightly higher than worst case scenario prediction. Uh, so it's a little worse than they thought right now is what they're talking about. How does that make you feel, Jason? <laughs> that makes me feel Since like... I'm putting yeah. you on the couch right now. I feel like I should be getting charged $300 an hour for this. Yes. No, I mean, I feel like I feel exactly the same. That, weirdly enough, makes me want to watch more and read more mm-hmm. because it isn't what we expect. I went into this thinking, you know, I'm putting all these hours into studying up and learning about what's going on, and then in the end, nothing really is going to happen. It's just going to be sort of a, a simple storm where not many deaths occur and not much destruction happens. And I think part of me is almost, I think like most people, they want to know that they spent all that time for a reason. Now, do you think that this is different than the Katrina, for example, where people in New Orleans didn't have the wherewithal to get out? I mean, this is obviously, there's a big difference between New Orleans and the demographic in, in Manhattan. I mean, do you, do you feel the same? Yeah, I mean, I again, I look at it as a, I look at it as I'm watching history unfold. You're, so you're I, at ground zero, so to speak. You you get to be a part of history. Exactly. So there you go. Okay, I feel a little bit better about uh, All right. my guilt. I'm not as guilty right well, now. Well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have been feeling this way. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. I mean, a lot of people are wondering why, since it's not affecting me, I've got no family members, I have nothing going on out there that I'm staring at this television just all night wondering what happens. And it kind of looks like, almost like a what's next scenario type of thing. Yeah, we all want to know what's going to happen next. And, of course, we'll keep uh, you guys up to speed as to what's going on throughout the night. Kirk, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so that was the clip. I thought I would chime in here with just a few final thoughts about that subject. But before I get into that, I I want to talk about how nervous I was. Um, That's the first time I've listened back to that clip, so I'm actually surprised I'm surprised that I don't sound as nervous as I felt. I've been on the radio before, and but there was something about this time that made me even more nervous than previous times. I felt the nerves coming on as I was about to go on the radio, and I thought, well, it's just initial jitters, you know, eventually I'll calm down, but I didn't. It just, it just sustained itself, you know, that heart pounding. You don't know what you're doing, and you don't know what's coming out of your mouth, and right afterwards, my dad actually asked me how it went, and and I, I said, I have no idea. I can't. I don't remember what I said. <laughs> so um, it's interesting to lis- listen back to it because um, that doesn't actually sound too bad. So some some final thoughts here. Another reason why I think people watch the news when it comes to this sort of thing is that they actually are feeling empathy for the people that are suffering. They might even have people out there in the Northeast that they are worried about and they want to pay attention to their to their plight it'd sort of be like if your friend got in a car accident you would probably go to the hospital and check on their status or if they were going into surgery you would want to be there at the hospital to support them even if they weren't aware of you being there 
just paying attention to them seems like a caring thing to do. And to just go on with your life as if everything is normal seems like an uncaring thing to do. So for some people, I think when they pay attention to news about natural disasters, it's their way of caring. It's their way of showing that they care because, you know, if they just went on with their life, they might be um, just saying it doesn't matter to them. Another reason why I think people pay attention to news like this is because there are people who are very anxious about these sorts of things happening. They might have general anxiety where they worry about lots of things, and they might worry about natural disasters happening to them and their families. And even though there's not a lot of evidence that one is going to befall Seattle, they might actually worry about it irrationally, as they say. Or they might be putting too much emphasis on the possibility of it happening, and they walk around in a state of anxiety. And people that don't have anxiety tend to look at people with anxiety and say, what's wrong with you? Stop thinking about that. But the fact is, is that people who suffer from anxiety don't have much control over what enters their mind. And they walk around all day worrying about things, even though they're trying not to. It becomes a persistent thought in their brain. They sort of obsess on it and they ruminate on it and it's outside of their control. You can try to work on it through cognitive behavioral therapy and people do find success in that. But understand that you know people who suffer from that, uh, it's it can be very debilitating. And so for those people, they worry, even though they're in Seattle, they might be worrying about a natural disaster. And by watching the news coverage, they feel that they might actually be helping their chance of survival by learning from the experiences of others, if that makes any sense. Uh, in fact, Berto was talking about how during the 9-11 attacks, he stayed up all night watching the footage nonstop. And he believes it was because he was anxious and he wanted to get control over it. He was afraid for his own life and for his family's life. And he thought that if he watched the news, it would somehow protect him. Another idea that I came up with regarding why people watch these sorts of things or and this really pertains to the watching of any violent videos or any kind of destructive videos on the internet, not things that are happening in real time. Like there are videos on YouTube of people crashing their bikes, of people crashing on their skateboards, or people dancing on tables at weddings and falling on their ass. You know, I mean, there's a lot of videos like that, and they're, and they're pretty entertaining. And why do we like to watch it? And I think one of the reasons why people watch these videos is because it's cathartic. We have a lot of pent-up emotions often. I think it's a common thing for us to bottle our emotions and to not let them out because we, we feel like people won't receive our emotional expression very well. So we pent it, we, you know, we bottle it up, we get pent-up emotions, and these videos are a way to expel some of those emotions. It's a way for us to have a visceral bodily reaction to something that is safe for us to react to rather than us wanting to scream at the top of our lungs at our boss or at our spouse or the world or whatever. It somehow releases some of that energy to watch that violent video. So when people watch the news of a tree falling down on a car, I think somehow symbolically it, it symbolizes our, our desire to crush the opposition in our own personal lives. Wow, that was very poetic. But but I believe it to be true that when when we can see a physical destruction of something, we get a little bit of a pleasure out of it because there are things that we would wish to destroy 
symbolically like like all the times that someone annoyed us at work or in public or in our family and we just you know we didn't do anything about it or, or and we feel like we didn't get treated fairly well when we see that car getting crushed by that tree i think the car symbolizes all of those things that we wanted to crush and we weren't able to and that tree represents us just just destroying it and it feels good and in that way we get catharsis through watching the videos so those are just the theories that I came up with in the few minutes before going on the radio. Um, if you have any others, please email me at contact at psychology in Seattle. So now let's go see what Umberto and Mandy are doing. So let me pick up the microphone here. and Let's, let's go over to the other part of the studio and see what they're up to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, that that's not what was happening. But, I mean, getting pulled over in any circumstance can be stressful. Right, but especially when someone's pants are Hey, guys. Hey. hey. Can I join you? Yeah. Sure. This is Manny Kirk's cousin. This is Umberto. I sell pop. Let's play tough or bluff. What do you say? Let's do it. Tough or bluff. Traces of cocaine were found on 75% of UK banknotes in a survey in London in 2000. Oh, my God. 70, 75%? Of UK banknotes had traces of cocaine on them. In what year? 2000. Uh, traces of cocaine. I'll say bluff. It's probably less than that. 75% seems a little high. Trace cocaine on money? Because they're sniffing it up their nose and they they use the dollar bill to create a little straw. Why money? Why can't you just use like printer paper? Money. <laughs> <laughs> no, plus, there's that. Plus drug dealers come across a lot of cash, right? So I'm going to say tough. It's bluff. How much is it? 99%. See? You see what I'm saying? 99% of UK banknotes, apparently, in 2000, had traces of cocaine on them. That is crazy. All right, Berto. Uh The word katana, which is, you know, that those Japanese swords, right? Also a character from Mortal Kombat. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes, with the little <laughs> fans. Didn't she have a yellow twin? What was her name? She was purple, and yeah, there was, was yellow. Yeah, she was purple. You're what right. was the yellow one? Did you play Mortal Kombat? Excuse when you- me. <laughs> Don't question me. Did you play it? Yes. On Nintendo? Yes. Wow. I also had it on original Game Boy. What was the fucking lady's name in yellow? Wow. Help me out. Nerd. Hey, I'm your cousin. Am I not? Yeah. Were you just talking about like some video game that you were griping about? Griping. Katana is similar to Cortana, which Halo 4 is coming out soon, or has it already come out? It comes out on November 6th, I heard. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the word katana. No, yellow yellow girl. What's her name? God, I don't know. You want me to look it up? Yes, I no, do. No, no, no. You look it up for the next Tougher Block. No, I'll look it up. What's So, katana. Mortal Kombat twin. Mortal Kombat twin <laughs> yellow. She was yellow, right? Kitana was her name. Lame. Katana and uh, Kitana. Melina. Melina, that's right. Melina. Slut. moving on sorry all right the word katana Mm. is actually originally from the portuguese katana with a c which means large knife or machete that's ridiculous bluff why do you always do these tough okay it's definitely bluff however (laughs) it actually uh 
the Portuguese very early, quote unquote, borrowed the word, and the word katana has been in the Portuguese language for freaking ever, meaning large knife. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's spelled with a C. The reason why I knew that was ridiculous is because the Japanese would never borrow a word from the Portuguese for the samurai number one thing, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I found it fascinating that. It'd be like Republicans naming their convention after a French building (laughs) or something, you know what I mean? (laughs) Anyway, Dover Bluff, Manny. Tough or blue? Oh, wait. Did I go? I didn't go. If the earth were the size of a quarter, so follow me. If the earth were the size of a quarter and the moon were the size of a pea, they would be six inches apart. If the earth were the size of a quarter and the moon were the size of a pea, they would be six <laughs> inches apart. Tough or bluff, Mandy? Oh, my God. <laughs> Bear just holding out his hands for uh, me to this imagine. Oh, gosh. I have no bluff. That seems really close. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go bluff. I, I think it's more like 12 inches. <laughs> it's actually bluff. It's three feet. Uh, oh, wow. It's right. long. That's far. So That's a, a long. Qu- so put a quarter at the middle of your chest and hold a pea out as far as you can away from your body, and that's how far the moon is relative to wow. the earth. It looks a lot bigger at night with full moons. Huh? Well, and whenever they depict the moon-earth system in the media, they usually put them much closer. Because it looks more dramatic when they're much closer, right? Mm, that's not a moon. That's a space station. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I was hoping someone would get that. Okay. Tougher bluff. Large doses of coffee can be lethal. That's not the tougher bluff. I'm just saying. It's a preface. Can be lethal, people. 10 grams or 100 cups over four hours can kill the average human. 100 cups of coffee can kill someone over four hours? If you drank that much. Maybe. I will say bluff. It's more than that. Bruno? I think 400 cups of anything would kill A 100. 100 cups? Four hours. Sure. I'm going to go tough. It's tough. Well, this one is <laughs> specially for you. Oh. <laughs> the word. Oh, God. Etymology. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> uh, is derived from the Greek, and it means true sense and study. So the, the study of the true sense. It's probably bluff. It probably means something else. I'll say tough. It's tough. Etim, <laughs> etim means uh, true sense, and or etimon, sorry. And logia is the study of. So the study of the true sense from the Greek. How could you think I was bluffing about etymology? <laughs> <laughs> All right, tough or bluff? Because of genetic similarities between human pubic lice and gorilla all-over body lice, scientists believe early humans had sex with gorillas. Tougher bluff, because of the genetic similarities between human pubic lice and gorilla all-over body lice, scientists believe that early humans had sex with gorillas. Bluff. Oh, I don't still want to think about that. Berto? <laughs> I, I wouldn't... I would the- I would have theorized the same thing even without that evidence, but um, tough because you're 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 the question you're posing is the the reason that it's theorized is because of the lice, right? That's the tougher bluff. Uh, the whole thing is tougher bluff. Yeah, I mean, and I'm saying tough. Yeah, the the so lice. You, so you believe early humans had sex with gorillas? Well, it depends how early, and that's actually that's really hard to imagine because the gorilla would kind of like boom, pulverize the human. <laughs> Fine. I don't know. I'm going to say tough still because there's stranger things in the world. It's tough. It's tough. (laughs) Our pubic lice is genetically similar to gorilla lice that live all over their body. Humans must have been a lot stronger in yesteryear, you know? Tougher bluff, gentlemen. 
Cheerio cereal was originally called Cheerios. Well, I'll say tough. That that seems likely. <laughs> that seems likely as well. I'm going to go tough. It's true, and I would still eat them. It's tough. Cheery oats. Cheery oats. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> I like Cheerios. Wild male gorillas. Is that is that also a word play right there? No, it's not, right? This one's about animals. And you like animals, so this is... Wait, wild... Um, wild male gorillas mm-hmm. weigh between 600 and 700 pounds. Wild male gorillas weigh between 600 and 700 pounds. I'm going to say bluff. I'm going to say it's just slightly low. <clears throat> um, I'm going to say they weigh more. Bluff. It is a bluff, but it's actually less. Because um, it's between 300 and 400 pounds. But keep in mind, it's like all muscle, right? Like, And, yeah. and they're shorter than us, too. So yeah. um, they're very dense. Yeah, that's true. Where yeah. it counts. <laughs> actually, they're Ironically, not. they're not dense where it counts. Yeah. They have very small penises. Peni. Peni. <laughs> because because their, their mate selection is not based on sperm delivery, but on muscle mass and, and overpowering the other males. That's why they believe humans were not the type of early primates that would beat up other men for the sake of having sex with the women because we're not very big and our penises are very long. So it depended on sperm delivery rather than being big. Right. <laughs> Have you heard of that before, Manny? No. Thanks for that. So like the key is like, <laughs> they are coming. I have to come. <laughs> and the more I am inside, the better. <laughs> right. Or, or the females had sex with a lot of men and the one that had the longest penis was the one that had the child. Yeah, because that sperm was delivered right to your front doorstep. <laughs> All right, tougher bluff. The design of Darth Vader was based on the legendary figure of death in a black robe. The design of Darth Vader was based on the legendary figure of death in a black robe. Tough or bluff? Hmm. Mm, tough. Why not? Yeah, tough. It's bluff. It was based on a samurai warrior. Ah, that makes sense, though, because the helmet and the whole thing. I saw a silly movie over the weekend. I saw Pitch Perfect. Has anyone seen the previews for that? It's it's like Glee movie, yeah. but it's not Glee, but it's like acapella. Is it a documentary? No, it's a movie. Oh, it's a movie. Like a silly movie. Yeah. And one of the characters is like, you know, she's making fun of endings of movies or something. She's like, yeah, of course I knew, you know. Ooh, big shocker. Darth Vader is Luke's father. Vader is father in German. His name is literally Darth Father. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, did anyone know that? Is that true? Vader? Father? Darth Father? Anybody? Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. You you both didn't know that? No, I did know that because oh. I read, there. there's this big ass Star Wars book that I have. See? Did, isn't that interesting? It's not interesting because <laughs> Lucas had no idea that Darth Vader was Luke's father when he first invented Darth Vader. But I am positive that when he wrote the script for Star Wars, A New Hope, he did not think that Luke was... Well, that was just a very interesting coincidence. It is. It's an interesting coincidence. But to be fair, though, the original name of the bad guy wasn't even Darth Vader. So I actually think that by the time he arrived at the name, he probably had the concept that he's going to be... No, you know this, right? Because, like, you know that those names kept changing all the way to, like, they started filming. Right. But But I don't think he thought... About Luke being Darth Vader's... I don't think he even thought there was going to be another movie. That's that's true. So I think he made it up after he did Star Wars, and he thought, well, what's a twist that would be interesting? He made it a twist in that movie to even the actors when it was redubbed over. Nobody knew. Hmm. 
like the actual actor I read a different line. I don't. I think every single time he he wrote a script, it was like brand new. You know, brand new thoughts Pulled it out of his ass. During Empire Strikes Back, Luke and Leia kiss each other, and Luke is like, "Oh, that was nice." And then the next movie, their brother and sister. I don't think he thought about these sorts of things. He claims he did, but I don't think he did. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us. Please take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. What's my outro? Oh, my gosh. Oh, Oh, yeah. This is my jam. Yeah. I I can easily hear this in a club. This week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does this bring you back? Yeah, wait, play some more. Makes me want to sweat. It's like that angry kind of techno where you're just like, what? Yes. Oh, bam. Do you like the song? It was epic, man. That yeah. Was epic. Walk into an arcade. You're walking into an arcade. Picture that, right? And like before that, it's like, blip, bloop, blip, bloop. <laughs> Right? And then you're walking by and, and this thing attacks you from the side. And then you hear this. No, sorry. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, oh my There's God. no way you can't you can't just like go like this. <laughs> you have to go balls out to that song because it feels so good to be I don't know. Balls out.